As many of you know, Elon Musk just recently acquired Twitter for $44 billion. In this episode, I explore all things Elon with my dear friend and business partner, Jason Kitamita. From Tesla to SpaceX, from robots to Neuralink, artificial intelligence, and the future of humanity. This was one of my favorite podcasts I've ever recorded, and my mind is blown away by the world we live in. The pinnacle for human innovation used to be a good crop yield. Now Elon Musk is set on making humans an interplanetary species. This is no longer Hollywood. This is real life. So I'm here with Jason Kitamira, entrepreneur, CEO of App Squad, one of my dearest business partners and friends. Thanks for coming on, bro. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It was of awesome. Course. So Elon Musk and Twitter. Elon Musk. $44 billion. That's a big deal. The, uh, the shareholders are all pretty happy. They kind of held the board accountable and it wasn't going to go through at first and there's questions of the business model there being that someone's throwing around now, oh, wait, billionaires now can just buy in a, to a company and dictate what the future of it is going to be. I definitely have an optimistic look at Elon Musk and what future he's trying to bring to humanity. How do you feel about it, the purchase and whatnot? I don't think people understand the magnitude of it, uh, to be honest. Um, I am pretty certain I know where Elon is going with this acquisition, and it's, it's beyond what people are thinking. Um, essentially, I think what he's trying to do is create a universalized way to verify people. He always talks about, he never, nothing's always like a secret or behind, he tells people it, but I don't think people are grasping the idea. Um, he, first off, he talks about freedom of speech, right? So that's the, the biggest issue is that he wants a platform where people are not going to be filtered. But there's really essentially no platform out there that does that. The biggest thing that holds companies back is verification of users. You have all these fake users. You have, like, like I don't know how many Twitter accounts I've made in the past or even that still exist out there. You know, I can just hop onto one and say whatever I want and leave. And that's the problem right now. You get all this hate speech, all these, like, things that are controversial. A lot of them come from accounts that people don't really, like, are not they're not tying themselves to they're just saying it out there right if they're now if all the accounts are validated like we know who you are and this is your only account that you can use for something like this i think people are going to be a lot more careful on what they say mm, interesting how yeah. do you think they can move forward with that validation he's been already dabbling with validation for a lot of the things especially for like tesla like opening the cars i mean if I wouldn't be surprised if in the future you can use your Twitter account to open your, your open your car door. You know, that's the way the validation would work. I know he's been working on it. And if you have a solid, solid validation system, essentially, just think of it this way. This is how big it is. I, I, people don't really, really realize that the only thing that government's really for is kind of solidifying who you are, like getting your social security number and and uh, controlling the financial system. So think of this, if who you are now became just who you are on Twitter, because that's validated, everybody knows that's a real account, that's you, imagine the power. Somebody in the middle of the jungle in Africa can create an account, and now for sure, because of, we know how Elon is with crypto, that he'll tie a crypto payment element, and his past experience with PayPal, he, mm. he has the means to do it, 
you tie a financial system to Twitter, so a validated account with payment. Now, somebody in the middle of Africa can be as equal as somebody in the United States. So plugging into the general economic system, this gives someone a digital access as long as they have internet. We know who they are. They're validated. They could be paid. They could be validated who they are. You just said it. Internet access, Starlink. He's got literally yeah. all of his... Because that's the only thing that will, will, will put an end to what he's trying to do mm-hmm. is if ISPs and government block Twitter from certain areas. You already thought of that. Starlink is under his control. Even, I don't know if you guys heard when uh, um, Russia tried to hack Starlink when he, uh, when he sent over the Starlink units to Ukraine. Yeah, yeah. His people just like thwarted it like that. Like, okay, we got it, uh, we got it figured out. You're good now. Everyone was like, what the, what the heck? Like, it, it would take like months for them to do that normally. But his system is so secure and his people are so on it that it was like literally instantly it was like the, the threat was like taken care of. That's insane. So no so, one's going to take it down. The power in his hands, and he's on record saying that, oh, all of my companies now, how people are seeing the integration and the potential future of them integrating, that's not on purpose, is what he said verbatim. I, if it was someone evil with that much power, that would be a scary thought. But since he has our trust and a lot of folks think that he, he has our best intentions in mind, me being one of them, I'm, I'm hopeful. It, it's, it sounds like from what you said that there's a general business, real big business venture in acquiring Twitter well, to now plug in so many people into the world economy. It's not necessarily for financial, though. Um, I mean, I think at this point in his life, the financial aspect of it is like, no, like who cares about the financial aspect? He's a disruptor. So literally, this is the most disruptive thing that he could have done. Because literally, if you have everybody validated on there, and now just think of it this way as that, you know how you could sign in with like Google and sign in with Facebook and stuff like that, but it's kind of like whatever. Now say you can actually validate your existence anywhere you go, like an ID with Twitter, because if if he gets that validation process so like spot on, which I know that's the goal, then you can use it anywhere. Dang. So he's going to have to marry with some sort of government agency, maybe even oh. a new defined one so, at one point, because they're going to try. Well, that's so that's the thing to it's, regulate it for it's sure. It's a disruptor against government for sure. Yeah. And not only that, honestly, if everything goes out the way it looks like it might, literally news and media is obsolete. How so? Because if you can validate the sources and you because Twitter is already a, a source for news. But now if all the users are validated and people know that these news stories are coming from real people and they know who they are and if they trust that person, it's faster, more efficient, and more trustworthy because there's no filter so to get it from Twitter than to get it from a news, news source that's that, temp, that has some interest politically and, and uh, financially from so other parties. So that's a good thing. That, that's directly going to the source. So it's not that news and media is going away. It's just now that people are instantly verified and held accountable for yeah. what they say. It sounds like you might just have direct journalists that are posting exactly. to the public, but you're still going to probably have organizations that provide some sort of structure or framework to I'm sure cameras are better. A journalist still probably needs some sort of resources, at least now. I'm sure he'll have some sort of system that maybe there's a system where you can vouch for the story. 
like, uh, you know, like Reddit has upvotes or something. So there'll be ways where multiple validated sources can like say, yeah, this is a legit story. This is legit. This is legit. You know, something like that. Do you um, think a way to verify is going to be facial recognition? Like in opening an iPhone, isn't that a way where you can I'm sure make sure? Fingerprint res- re- recognition, facial recognition. I mean, he has access to all that plus more. Why so, hasn't a social media company, I mean, let's say, so Apple owns, let's say, the hardware that facilitates the, the, reason, the recognition. I'll tell you the truth. How are they not plugging into that? As an app developer, I'll tell you exactly why. Yeah. We want users. We want people to make 10 accounts because we want to show the numbers are huge. Oh, shit. Good yeah. point. But he's, that's why he says it'll only work if it's a private company. If it's a public company, shareholders will get pissed that he's going to lose three quarters of the users. I see. So it'll only work when it's a private company because nobody, he doesn't have to answer to anybody to say, hey, we're erasing three quarters of all the users on this, on this system. So what do you think the new business model is going to be stepping away from advertising and maybe subscription based? He's already got enough money, which is good because then he could focus on the ethics and morality of the platform this is the and thing. He not owns, the bottom line. He owns 100% of it. He doesn't have to answer to anybody. He doesn't need to make money <laughs> from it. Like, I mean, the fact that it's a platform where he can get out what he needs to get out is going to be enough money to sustain it. You know, and if he uh, inserts some sort of financial aspect where there is like a percentage of transaction fee, that'll sustain it. He doesn't have to make this big. He doesn't have to please anybody with it. That's, that's the crazy thing about it. So he can use it, though, to help build the bottom line of his other organizations. And, I mean, that's just not, not saying that's his sole purpose, yeah. but that's one purpose. And let's focus on the free speech for a little bit. So Twitter is notorious for, I mean, not just Twitter, other social media platforms, mm-hmm. for regulating and banning accounts and kind of policing the public square, per se. And... Since it's such a new piece of technology and we really haven't been faced with these challenges and questions since 2010, 2011, people will make the argument like, oh, Twitter needs to be an open public square where you are basically a human being in the real world speaking to the publics and that's how discourse should be had. But in tying it back to fake accounts being created, let's say if you're able to create messaging under fake bot accounts or what have you, Mm -hmm. then it technically isn't a public square at that point because you're you're almost performing a function of a human and communicating verbiage, but it's not, it's from a fake place where you in the flesh aren't being held accountable. So to bring it back into what you said, if there's a way to verify that this is a human on their Twitter account actually performing this speech, as you said earlier, it's going to... I think clean up a little bit of the, oh, the nasty speech and people are going to care about how people are taking them in. And that's freaking amazing. Cause yeah. that's not going to just improve free speech in my opinion, but it's going to, it's going to make speech better over time. Oh yeah. Because you know, cancel culture, people yeah. don't want to get canceled. So there's a lot of stuff that people say under the, under the umbrella or under the shadows of their fake account. Like nobody really knows who I am. I could say whatever I want type thing. If you have to use facial recognition and it's validated that, Hey, this is you on there and you're saying that then people already know like where that's coming from and who that is. People will think twice before they do something like that. So how does he make sure it doesn't turn into like the communist party of China and their social system where they're rating their citizens now, right? Based on like a social credit score. 
Have you heard of anything like that? I've heard a little bit on it. I haven't heard a lot on it, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So, so you could say on one side, if someone's 100% validated, let's say to the point where to the court. Well, of law, so this is the thing. I think it, it's only going to work if he can uh, 100% validate. And that I think is going to be the core thing that he's going to be working on. So there, there isn't going to be uh, he may uh, allow some accounts to like just exist. But you don't have to listen to them. They'll probably filter out, like, you may have to click a button to see all the unvalidated accounts, but the validated accounts are what, like, shows front and center. Interesting. And um, those validated accounts, it's all dependent on how good he could do the validation. And I know he's going to go real hard on that for sure. Yeah. So in the world of acquisitions, this would be inorganic through acquiring Twitter. It's why, why do you think he took that path just in taking on the infrastructure and the existing user database? Why did he not just go straight from scratch and bottom up building this re this recognition software? Look how long it took to build it. Yeah. Yeah, look how long to, you know, he can build something and he's popular enough Well, he'll get millions of people on there. But to get it to parallel to where Twitter is, you're talking 10, 15 years. He, so wants, he wants this to happen within the next few years. Like it's going to literally change the world. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna it's be so crazy. Yeah. All, all these things go on behind the scenes. It's just the nature of business and companies since the beginning of time. You're, you're putting together these plans, and he's had some sort of series of thoughts in his head leading to the purchase, and we now are predicting oh, what what's going to come out of him in the next couple years, like available to the public. It just, it just trips me out. But uh, Twitter amongst one... Of course, we know that he has Tesla, SpaceX, Neuralink, and the Boring Company, and we'll get into those. But in purchasing a social media platform and just since 2000, when do you think MySpace and Facebook really took off? Like oh, mid-2000s? 2007, 8? Uh, yeah, probably. It was in the 2000s, yeah. It's just crazy how all these companies are making, maybe. Yeah. They're making the innovations he comes in in 2022 amongst all of his other businesses, acquires his company, and is now one of the biggest players in the game. And he isn't just a typical CEO or leader. Like, we categorize him as this fringe, artistic, good-willed person, right? So, he's, not, he's not someone that most people question. We trust him. Right, and right. Why do, you, why do you think that is? Like, because it comes from a different place as business. Because, uh, again, he made enough money with uh, PayPal that he didn't, he didn't you know, I, I, I work with enough entrepreneurs to know that once you hit a certain amount, money is not the motivator anymore. Um, you know, you get all your bills paid, you, you, you have fun, and he had fun. He, he had a McLaren, and, you know, he, he, he lived the life. And, you know, after a while, it becomes kind of like, eh, you know, this, what's, not, what's next, right? And then they all start selling their stuff and living like, remember Tony Shea from Zappos was living at a, like a, I don't know, a garage or something. And then uh, before he passed away and, you know, there's a lot of other entrepreneurs that just sell everything. And then you have Bezos with the super yacht. Yeah. And they have <laughs> Bezos. But so, I mean, the intention from Elon, he makes it clear. He always just, in his mind, the, the criteria for business is what's, what can he do to help the outcome of humanity the most? Literally a problem solver. He said his brain solver. just is like a computer solving problems and yeah. not just the biggest problems you can kind of pose. He is focused on that. 
And one of his premises that he always speaks to is he wants to build a future that is worth getting excited about. Exactly. And that's like a beautiful thing. When he says that, I believe him. And if money isn't the sole motivator and he's taking away time from his family and he isn't just kicking his feet up on the beach, I mean, his time is super valuable, then, yeah, someone can make the argument, oh, he's just egotistical, right? He's just obsessed with building and building and building. When you hear him in long form and not stepping out of the realm of talking about business, but just communicating with a friend like Joe Rogan, they, they step outside of the scope of business. He's just a kind of a friendly, likable problem solver. Yeah. He, he, he just seems like his brain is programmed to do those types of things. At some point in his life, um, I mean, he's always, I think from childhood, always been like a genius, a problem solver. Everybody went to him to solve problems. At some point in his life, he realized that nobody else is trying to solve these problems. So I guess it has to be him. And then he just put the weight, the weight of that in his shoulders and just ran with it. Like, And you guys are very similar in that sense. I remember <laughs> hearing his interview. I forget the age when he said, like, wait, I realized that not everyone is like me. I'm actually very For different. Sure. For sure. Like, I'm the outlier. Why aren't? all these other people thinking about these things and trying to solve them. And in reading your book, shout out your book, The Four Keys, um, you talk about that too early on, just recognizing yeah. that you had a brain for problem solving and that it made you an outlier at first, but you were able to kind of fit in and turn it into a, a benefit. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the, the, the story... It's funny because when I read like biographies and hear stuff about Elon, like a lot of, there's a lot of similarities. Obviously I'm not the richest man in the world and, <laughs> and he has another characteristic that I lack for sure, which is uh, a lot more of the action based stuff, which is, you know, um, you know, everybody needs to work on, but he just has that gene or whatever that switch. But what do you mean the action based stuff? So a lot of people will be a pro like a problem solver, um, but then they'll, they'll find a solution, but implementing it into real life is, is the difficult part and then scaling it scaling scaling it is the the biggest part you know you can always find a solution and then okay we fix that but now find a solution okay we fixed that and now the world let the world know that we fixed it that's his one step beyond um you know he's just thinking way bigger than i ever was but yeah i mean ever since i was a kid i always i mean i used to take apart all my toys and stuff just to see how they worked and it was just like you know, people used to get pissed at me. He's like, dude, you just got that for your birthday. Why did you just break it? I mean, it's just like nonstop. Like, I need to see why, like how things work, how things work. Why, uh, you know, why did this work? Yeah. Um, and um, just every time I saw problems, it just like, oh, this is the solution. And it's like you start seeing problems. Everyone's like, oh, I can do this. I can do that. And it just becomes like overwhelming with like solutions to problems. Um, Isn't it strange then to see some folks that are very habit oriented just kind of plugged into a bigger system and they don't really see problems they're just the yeah. majority of humans are like that right majority of people and that's why i realized soon that you know i just i just thought it was like weird and kind of different like i would always never be like present like in school because i'm always like thinking of like solutions to something and it's funny because like the first thing that elon did was he created a video game that he sold and it was a space fighter video game that was the first thing i ever did was create a space fighter video game like literally when i was a kid it was a, like you kind of get drawn to the same kind of stuff like he was into programming because there's a lot of problem solving in, in programming but you know as i went through life and 
you know, people started coming to me to solve problems, especially in the coding side. I would, um, I would get hired by companies that would hire teams of people that couldn't find problems. Say, hey, I'll give you a try. If you, fi- if you can fix it, I'll give you. And yeah. like, I think I'm 100% on being able to fix everybody's issues. So at some point in time, I realized, like, okay, well, I guess maybe this is a gift. Like, I'm good at problem solving. Because it's not just coding, just anything. I, I, I don't know if I get just like a hyper focus where I could just like dig into it and find a solution to something. And just So once I realized that it's a gift, then I kind of, the similarity with Elon kind of came to, to play where I really saw it because when he said the words like, oh, like, what can I do that's going to benefit humanity the most, right? That's kind of what I did. It was like, and this is like years ago, like 15 years ago, like we, we, before I even heard of Elon, is like, you know, okay, saying that this is not craziness, saying that this is a gift, how can I use it to impact the world the most? And that's how the, the book, The Four Keys, kind of came about. Nice. Yeah. And I mean, focusing on your world in tech and coding and whatnot, you're able to take the theory of problem solving and the scientific method, and then you just have a new tool, like means of kind of communicating it through computers. Yeah, well, I mean, I wouldn't say that. I would say just my problem solving ability translated into tech. It's very easy to translate that ability into tech. Mm-hmm. But that it would apply for like anything. Like I would always be the relationship guy too. Like how do you fix my relationship with somebody? It was yeah. the same, even like for like through high school and stuff like that. So it's like now, so I mean, essentially the four keys, basically I was working in VC for a little while because for a long time, you know, everybody told me like money and power was kind of like everything you're going after. So I was like, oh, what, what makes the most money? Oh, venture capital. So I'm going to go into venture capital. So it kind of, Started in finance, worked my way up into venture capital. Got there, started working with guys that were like buying islands and you know, crazy net worths. They were all like unhappy. Like all of them were just like, like either either they were like jumping out of planes and, and racing on tracks or they were just depressed. So I was like, what, what is this? So that kind of became, oh, how can I use my problem solvability? Let me try to solve why are people not happy? So that that's how it all. It's came a loaded about. question. It's a loaded question, and uh, it became and the and the answer was a loaded answer. I'll tell you that, yeah. But it's it's pretty cool. I mean, it's a basically the book, the four keys, is a direct blueprint on how to feel fulfilled and how to feel happy. Uh, there's no guessing game. You can actually figure yourself out by using the tools. And uh, I mean, I've been doing it with uh, with individuals for coaching, um, and it's been working wonders. People come in fighting depression. I don't know what to do with my life. Within a few days, they're, they're better. They have a focus. They have they have like a, a destination. So it's I'm it's hoping so I'm hoping it'll help people. But going back to Elon, that same question is what I ask. How can I how can I use my skills to help the world the best? Right, yeah. and that's what he he said, and that's what he's doing. It's so interesting the yeah. human brain. I've, I've been thinking about this lately, how you just in helping a couple people, if your brain is just a supercomputer and it's coded improperly with, with poor thoughts, like poor pathways of thinking, sometimes all you need is this new piece of code that another person thought of and it could reprogram your outlook on life. Well, I mean, that's the first thing you ask yourself is like, can you, let me ask you this. Do you think you can control what you like? Control what I like. Hmm. I would say some items you're going to be programmed to like just based off of your genes as a human, and then some you can kind of learn over time. 
Like, let's say if you're not exposed to something, right. so you don't even know that it exists, you don't know if you like it, y- you probably can grow to like it. But let's say you're, you're like cravings for sugar or fatty foods, something that statistically most humans like, oh, you're programmed to like these things because they're nutrient dense. Yeah. I mean, but it, it goes even beyond the those type of things. Uh, it goes to like you know, your, your hobbies, or, you know, what you get the most satisfaction from a lot of it actually does stem from your DNA. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, if ever anybody could just choose what they like, then there'll be a lot more people that are happy with their job, happy with their marriage. You're like, Oh, I can't stand this person. Wait, I'm going to learn to like it. And it's like hard to do that. Right. Yeah. So that, that's what this book kind of does. It kind of decodes, you know, which part of what you are, what your desires are, are pre-programmed and which part of it is something else. So that just yeah sparked an idea of, have you seen the giver? The, huh. the movie or read the book, The Giver. Yeah. But if things are programmed in people's DNA, it's one of those movies where you're born and like you, they observe you in adolescence and then you're placed into a job or a program that you seem fit for or deemed right. fit for. But do you think that's a potential future? Is is if what makes you happy, let's say 85% of it is predetermined in your DNA. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Maybe not forced, but actionable advice. Yeah. Oh, I mean, you would be a happier farmer or programmer. Is that, do you, do you have a percentage of how much could be? So it's a little bit complicated because that your, a, a lot of your, your desires are programmed from your DNA from when you're born, from, you know, your parents or your ancestors. Uh, but some of them are also because of survival. Uh, it's uh, ingrained because of extreme events. Mm. So when things have, Epigenetics. Yeah. So essentially anything that you like and the way you feel is all just a chemical response. It's all like dopamine and, you know, just going through your body like what, but what programs your brain to release dopamine when something happens, right? So for example, if you like hurt yourself doing something like, in, like a major accident, a lot of times, like when you see that same scenario, you, 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 you wince because you feel, felt that. So that's something that kind of like reprograms you a little bit. So, so stuff like that also is uh, into account for what you like. Uh, Even though we don't, we can't speak from experience on this, but like what about someone cutting like pain oriented habits that so turn into. This is a controversial thing is that in essence, like, you know, when you hear people about electroshock therapy, mm. electroshock therapy technically actually works. Um, it's just, I, it got a bad stigma for some reason, you know, any organization that does it is frowned upon. Um, you know, I, I don't recommend people to just shock themselves, but, but if you actually like visualize something that you're trying to dislike, like, um, you know, like smoking or something and you get a physical act of pain every, anytime you hold a cigarette or you do, it it actually will reprogram your mind Mm -hmm. to not desire those things. So Pain is kind of That's a catalyst crazy. for change, yeah. So I'm thinking of real-world AI because mm-hmm. if your brain then is just this organic computer that can be programmed, Elon Musk has been trying to solve the real-world artificial intelligence challenge. And in te- with Tesla and the self-driving car, he realized that the biggest problem that needs to be solved is that real world AI. And now he's transitioning to, or he's applying it rather to the robot Optimus. Have you heard of Optimus? I have. We'll we'll have to talk about that. (laughs) But that's so crazy that just by, by pursuing the electric vehicle 
the self-driving car. It's led to a series of events now to where he's predicting Optimus is going to be bigger than the car itself. And I wanted to ask you a couple questions about one of the, the challenges he identified is building vector space, like images and having all the cameras work together. Yeah. From a coding standpoint, because you know that so well, like how how big is that feat to literally program in vector space all the potential scenarios and predicting in a car predicting the activities of other cars, humans, birds, trees, like all of those different items. It's super difficult. Um, so this is the one thing. So that, real quick, yeah. just a, an addition onto that question. So it's difficult. Is it difficult in the technical? writing of the code or scale like having enough people and algorithms so I'll, to I'll tell you scale. what it is and so this is the one thing because like pretty much everything with elon I'm like oh man that's so smart oh man this is great this is the one thing i'm i'm not 100 percent sure on his choice um so he decided to use uh optics so cameras for all of uh for all the, the self-driving um and Everybody, lot, there's a lot of people that kind of like wonder why he doesn't use sensors. Mm-hmm. Um, so the thing is, if you look back, Google Google is all about sensors. Tesla is all about cameras. They're always fighting like this and saying like, oh, sensors are better. Oh, cameras are better. Oh, sensors are better. I mean, realistically, both is the best. So I, I don't know why he doesn't implement sensors into it because uh, it would just give that much more data. I'm hoping there's a reason on that besides the fact that he doesn't want to use Google's tech and doesn't want to like, he's competing with Google to try to prove them wrong because he's friends with, he's, he's friends with them and they're, they're always back and forth about it because Google is trying to make this self-driving car too, but they're using hundred percent sensors and he's using hundred percent cameras and there's almost like a competition on who could do it better. Mm. But ideally it would be both. Ideally it's both because there's a lot of uh, sensors, you know, like sonar and things like that. They can detect depth. Uh, visually, like it's a, it's kind of a 2D image that they're trying to figure out and use AI to figure out what's depth. But there's always been issues, like even Elon like like admits it that if somebody walks by with a stop sign on their shirt and goes like this, the car will stop because it detects a stop sign. Mm. So if you had a sensor, you can kind of tell if that's like a person or if that's like you know there there's other things you could find like the depth of where it's at and if it's moving and things like that with so. Creating a vector space with only image that's technically a 2D visualization. Without sensors, the uh, image is just a 2D visualization. And then by using AI and multiple cameras, you could kind of figure out depth. Mm. So it's using multiple cameras to figure out depth, where everything's at, and mapping everything that way. Why not use the sensors to communicate to the cameras? That's what I'm saying. If you had both, it'd be amazing. Because like, couldn't yeah. you then use the sensors to get data on depth? And then you can apply that to like the camera code. Yeah, I don't see why you wouldn't. You can you can he's merge got, the two. I wonder if he's using both. I could have swore I've heard him say that he was trying to implement both. I don't know. As far as I know, it's right now it's mostly image based. Uh, I mean, it's location based too because he has you know the GPS and all that stuff. Um, but I mean, realistically, the biggest asset from the entire self driving is the database. Every single car is recording every stop, every like stop sign it finds every signal it finds. So I think what he's, he's banking on is eventually the AI will be so smart because it already experienced it before that you don't need sensors. 
you know. Mm, I see. But there are these scenarios where these you you hear about these self-driving cars that crash. Like they'll just like slam into the car in front of them, and usually they find it some sort of like reflective paint that kind of like reflected off the sun, and it, it didn't you know it, it did something like that. See, with a sensor, you would never run into something in front of you because the sensor would detect the the object. I see. But you can trick the visuals with like messed up like reflections and light and things like so that. So being yeah. a coder and knowing that there are problems, there are hacks, there there are things that go wrong yeah. with this technology. How could you possibly build something then where you have hundreds of thousands of humans and the risk and liability there is of course the system's getting smarter over time, but just any any risk there, he's spoke to as soon as it is lesser of an evil of the average human ability to make errors and auto accidents and whatnot, then as soon as you could pass that threshold, it's still an overall positive in like preserving life. Yeah. But how do you have a team that could write code that's not going to go wrong like that? I, I No, don't get me wrong. I don't think it's not going to work. I think it's just more difficult. Mm. You have to do a lot more AI. You have to do a lot more calculations. You have to have multiple camera angles to get the same amount of data that you can with probably like single camera and a sensor. Yeah. Uh, but it can be done. Uh, it's just a lot more work. Um, it'll probably take take more time as far as like how much data you have to collect to get the same result. But, I, you know, I think what he's trying to do, uh, if it's not just a competition thing, is he's trying to mimic uh, a human. Humans don't have sensors. Humans have eyes. And it's basically using the same, the same like uh, input method as a human would. So he's trying to replicate a human. So the problem with that is that humans crash. So mm. if you replicate a human, we're going to crash once in a while, right? If you add ability to the human, like add sensors, then you can mitigate crashes. But I think he's trying to replicate a human that doesn't make as many mistakes. But they're limited by what a human has, you know, You're right, can input. Yeah. He has talked about the eyeball, why yeah. image rather than sensor is so important because that's what the human eye does. Mm -hmm. But even though that's how we evolved, that might not be what's best for a inorganic robot car. As he likes to call it, he's like, all my cars are basically just robot robots yeah. on four wheels. If you want to take it to a whole deep level of potentials, the only reason I would think you do that, because all of his stuff, they merge together, right? So Solar City obviously is is powering you could power tesla's vehicles it's merged together he wants to use some of spacex stuff to make some of the cars faster with with tesla right they, they cross uh, you know cross uh use their their resources and their yeah, data and all, things like that it's all linked together yeah. right so if you think about that if you have Neuralink and Neuralink has the ai c capability of the self-driving car then essentially you can use the optical input of someone's eyes and then calculate what to do basically using the same system that he's building right now mm. right so it'd be it'd be like a seamless process like the input of your your optics would go into the Neuralink, and then you would be able to use the same ai uh, that that tesla has in your own head jesus like if you want to if you want to say that it's compatible with with a human that may be a reason because otherwise, like if you have sensors and stuff, then no, it's not. You know what I mean? <laughs> On Neuralink, real quick. He, I don't know. Yeah. He said that 
the first 10 years or so are, are going to be just solving like spinal issues and brain issues and, and stuff like that. But eventually it is going to be an interface of the, the biggest challenge with this phone in your pocket. I mean, we're all cyborgs basically is what yeah. he describes is the fact that we're using our thumbs to generate the inputs and that's just so slow. If you can kind of, I, w- I was thinking of it earlier while driving. I was listening to one of his interviews. I wanted to be like, pause, record that, put into this note folder. Instead of like driving me like, oh, that was a good note. I want to write it in the note folder. If you could just think it, they got to place that note into this folder. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, schedule this meeting for tomorrow. Whatever it may be, there, there's going to be so many different actions but just removing the the two thumbs and inputting and typing at a slow rate, that's the problem he's trying to solve is that that communication, that input barrier. But, God, it freaks a lot of people out. It does. Planning. And that whole, you know, you're already a cyborg with your phone in your pocket. I mean, that's just kind of to lighten the, the idea of it. You're like, you know, you're already halfway there. You know, this is what's a little implant. We're just, glue, you know, we're surgically inserting it instead of you holding it in your hand. Mm-hmm. But... It's a lot bigger than that, again, with all his stuff. I mean, you just, if, if you want to figure him out, all you have to think about why is he doing it, and it's always for the, the, you know, the best scenario for future of humanity, right? He's literally afraid of AI, like, which is contradictory because he's building it, right? Is he, is he, like, building Skynet, or is he trying to def- defend us against Skynet, right? We don't, we don't know. Um, but he thinks that the only chance that we have to protect ourselves against AI is to use something like Neuralink so we can speed up our thoughts to, to get match, ahead of it, to get ahead of it, or at least match their abilities, right? To mirror it. That's the end goal is that, I mean, I, I've heard him talk about some of the robots, like the Boston Dynamic robots and some of the robots, and he says that literally it is fo- possible to create a robot that runs faster than your eye can see right now. What? Yes. No way. Yeah, he says that the technology is there that you could build a robot that that is faster than the eye can see. It's like a superhero. It's a superhero. So how do you protect? If you have a super a, a legion of superhero, like army, like how do you fight against that? You can't even see them coming. See, this is what I'm scared of because I, I'm not too afraid of a leader like Elon Musk who recognizes the AI and the potential for negative outcomes. That kind of keeps a good checks and balances hopefully in his business model along the way. But once that technology becomes commonplace and you have a whole array of people now which have access to it, then it's a matter of personality. And if you know if humans are flawed, then his technology in the hands of someone more evil or someone that wants to take over the world or do whatever, that's when it becomes scary because you're like, even though this one individual is good they're opening up pandora's box and inevitably is that going to lead to a future of you have a hundred thousand different use cases all it takes is one bad use case like with the atomic bomb for example like a lot of these scientists they you're you're going through the the actions and the methods of just the, the, the physics and the science and the process but you can't possibly predict the future of opening that Pandora's box. Exactly. And well, I mean, he same. even says he wants that government regulation. He wants some sort of agency to 
puts no, them, nobody will do imagine, it. Imagine, yeah. imagine a set of politicians though, and the they are not going to know how off the bat to regulate or communicate about this stuff. You're going to have to bring in people that are geniuses in the field who aren't really going to be incentivized to go into the government agency besides right. some sort of virtuous reason that they, they see something that they need to protect or help along the way. It's just scary because it's Pandora's box is being opened. I mean, it's the same situation as you hear all these like labs that like study viruses, right? They'll create these superhuman viruses, uh, but it's not to, to use as a weapon. It's actually, they're, they're trying to potentially see what could happen in, in the, in nature and then find an antidote for it. But in, in the process, they're creating them, right? So if they get loose, uh, you know, who knows what could happen? It's the same thing. It's like, I'm sure he, he weighed the pros and the cons. And I, I think he figures that if he doesn't do it, somebody else is going to do it at some point in time. So regardless, it's going to happen. Might as well be prepared for it, right? But who knows Gosh. as he creates it, gets in the wrong hands, and <laughs> it becomes a thing. Because the scary thing is uh, with Optimus, right? So he, he even said that, don't worry, guys. We're limiting it so it only could run five, five miles an hour. So <laughs> yeah. if it ever turns on you, you could just outrun it. Don't worry about it, right? That's like literally... Or yeah, he said there's some sort of uh, mechanical switch on it, a piece of hardware that cannot be programmed from like any sort of Wi-Fi connection or any sort of software. It's like yeah. you can just unplug it or hit the the switch or say stop, 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 and it's automatically yeah. gonna stop. But like I said, it just takes a couple evil people to figure it out. And I've seen enough enough thousand horsepower Honda Civics to know that they could probably soup up that robot <laughs> to run like light speed, you know? <laughs> so wild. He said that in the next 15 years, yep. they're going to start popping up in households all over that. You're going to be able to buy one for 20, 30 grand. It's, It'll be able to take care of grandma, cook your dinner, maybe even a free babysitter. If you trust your robot with your kids, I like mean, this is shit we're going to have to face in our lifetime. It's pretty intense. I mean, do you ever watch Star Trek? Have you ever no, watched no, I never so, really did. So, like, I don't watch it too much, but I know, like, the premise behind, like, why, like, the future is so, like, amazing, um, you know, for, for humans was because once they were able to create these replicators where you can just, like, make whatever you want out of it, then the need to steal and the need for, like, being starving, it, it went away. And I'm thinking he has that kind of idea he calls it the future of abundance the future of abundance because i mean right now we're already seeing issues with manufacturing i mean i think that kind of was the the you know hitting the nail on the head you know like that was the final straw when she saw all these manufacturing issues from china and like okay if we if we go to war with some of these countries and they're providing us goods what do we do we don't manufacture here and uh, if we do it costs so much and prices are going to skyrocket right well if you have ten thousand of these optimist things that are just working 24 hours a day making stuff your cost of goods like shrinks to like nearly barely anything <laughs> yeah he was talking about yeah. the, the labor shortage in combination with the low birth rate yeah he currently i don't know the exact numbers this is just something he he said but at our current birth rate in the western world we're not going to be able to sustain our current lifestyle and we will be reliant on a foreign power, let's say like China, who can just pull the rug from under us. So in problem solving, it, it goes back to problem solving. Yep. He's like, let's just create a robot. It's going to get rid of some of the labor shortage jobs that humans don't want to do. It's going to be good for bottom line. 
It's going to be good for a lot of businesses because they're going to be able to produce goods, like you said, 24-7. They're going to become cheaper. They're going to become more readily available. And this this future of abundance, um, I actually wrote a note earlier. So when he says building a future that is worth getting excited for, he speaks to a future of abundance, right? Mm-hmm. This technologically advanced, abundant future. Some people, they think just a good crop yield, just taking it back to the good old farming, mother nature, mother earth. That's a future of abundance is just living off of the land, getting rid of all the technology. And we still have so many of those humans in our societies that do not like where technology is going. I I don't think that is the future and that that ideology is going to win out. But it's just crazy if you scale up and take a sample size of time and humanity. Like we used to be like the future of abundance is getting a good sustainable crop yield to feed our people. If you take that same premise and you fast forward now to 2050 and all of these elements have been added to to the equation of robots creating a future of abundance. Oh, you have a food shortage or you're you're worried about quality control with certain foods or what have you. What if they're instead of uh, just popped into my head? What if instead of spraying chemicals on a crop field, you have a little robot that runs around and kills all the bugs? Yeah. So like you can still you can have organic product that you don't want to worry about bugs eating it or whatever you're like no just that that's a benefit or for all the bug activists out there they can just like nicely gently pick them up and put them in a jar (laughs) right they don't crush them yeah so there's just this (laughs) infinite amount of scenarios of positive outcomes and then all it takes is a couple negatives though that's that's the scared part yeah and that's part of our human programming too is to recognize and weigh like a bigger importance is placed on negative than positive, which is why we focus so much on negative. But in real world AI with robots, you got to heavily weigh those potential negatives. Yeah. In in my book, it's a big part of it is uh, why so many people are unhappy. A lot of it is due to the the programming in your mind uh, is kind of geared for society before technology, like before like today's current technology, like, you know, some people, they like building, they like to, uh, you know, like being like in construction or farming. A lot of these jobs are like obsolete. Like a lot of the time, a lot of the things like, how many blacksmiths do you know? You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> right. It's like, so a lot of our pre-programming is for a skill that's obsolete. Um, so essentially if we roll back, like, you know, roll back the years, um, it's easier to find your purpose in life. A lot of times, you know, you, you, you found families kind of like, it was like a long line of blacksmiths, right? It wasn't like, it's like, oh, this guy's a blacksmith. My son does this. No, they're like, they're all blacksmiths. And it's not because they're forced into it. A lot of times it's because they get the same amount of satisfaction, you know, just like their parents did. So they, they continue to do, you know, the same things. Um, but as things kind of get obsolete and as we get more access to stuff and more stimuli from things and now video games give us like more, dopamine than we should be getting in the real world, we get kind of confused. So do you, do you think that speaks to a, a lack of structure in whether it's a familial unit passing down the crown or it's blacksmith or a religion or just too much, too many, too much opportunity, almost too much stimuli 
drives a lot of people to become crazy and depressed because you don't, if you don't have that guidance, if you didn't have the parents to properly educate you about the world right now, the world that's coming kind of predicting and trying to coach skill sets and schooling and whatnot. I feel like it speaks to a, a lack of structure sometimes can lead to chaos. I think it's just society to be honest. I mean, the thing is your subconscious mind just always craves all it wants to do is avoid pain and feel good. That's literally how 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 much you know your subconscious part what it wants to do. So that's why almost every kid I know they either want to be a video game designer, a YouTuber or a TikToker because the things that give you the most dopamine rush and they're programmed actually to give you the most dopamine rush is what they end up saying like, oh, I wish I could do that like as my job, right? That's just what happens, you know? Or like before when it was my, uh, in like my era, it was more like movies. Like when you go to movies, you, you get all this rush in the big, oh, I want to be in the movies. Yeah. Or I want to make movies and stuff like that, you know? So if that's where the future's heading to tie back into Elon Musk and it's problem solving with yeah. robots, if the youth is there, they're 100% is going to be a, sh- a shortage of technicians and people. That's what they're hoping, in, but I, you don't I, think so? I, I think they the interest is there, but it's an interest solely based on like a dopamine rush. So the problem with that is I've seen it just being in the industry is that people are like, oh, I want to make video games. And then they, they go try like, dude, I hate this. Yeah, Coding yeah, is boring. Yeah. Like what do I have to do like 50 pages of this just to make his arm do this. This is this is whack. I don't want to do this. You know, what I mean, it's they don't they just know the result. They don't mm-hmm. know like the process that that goes into it. So that's, that, that's the issue. But. So if you were to roll back the clock in the olden days, people could figure out their their purpose easier and people are just generally more happy. Not saying that their livelihoods were better or anything like that, but just like they didn't crave that, oh, what should I be doing with my life like that so many people are doing right now. So do you think ever since the Industrial Revolution, then we're just going through growing pains as humans? Like we're literally stuck in this tornado of all of these new innovations coming in such a short timeline relative and then especially post internet era it's just insane like a lot of our monkey brains for lack of a better term are operating in a world where the baseline for cyborgs and robots are already being laid like that's the future yeah and we're just these meat vehicles <laughs> operating. Well, I mean, going back on that, uh, the, the problem is we're we're more tribal by nature. Just our our, our DNA and everything is, is is more focused to be like living in a tribes and tribes. Social media gives you access to everyone. We're not used to that. We're not supposed to have that right now. And then so it just gives us misinformation all over. We don't know what to do with it. It's just too much. But going back to what you're saying about the industrial revolution, I think. It's sad to say because I'm a tech guy. I'm in tech. But I think tech is the biggest problem in the world, to be honest. It's, um, I think the, uh, the definition of technology and, the, and how technology was supposed to be used got skewed somewhere down the line. Technology should give you the opportunity to grow and thrive and, and be able to give you more opportunity. Like it can improve things, give, uh, you know, make things better give open doors that weren't there before. That's what technology should do. Create something like amazing, something that's like brand new, right? But where, when it got involved with, with money and capitalism, it became also about replacing people. So almost 90% of technology that's developed is to replace people. Like 
AI and all this stuff. So you can, oh, you don't need a social media manager because our this AI can do the social media manager, mm. you know, stuff like that. You know, I'm seeing you've seen, seen those things yeah. like that. And then, but that's any technology. Like look at Elon's factory for Tesla. They're all like majority of his robots, right? That's that replaced people. Once, once technology became also replacing people instead of creating new things is when things went awry because now there's less and less opportunity for people to actually have a job. They're, they're, they're making industries obsolete. They're making jobs obsolete. People who have had generations and generations of one type of skill is irrelevant now. I mean, pretty soon look at truck drivers, how many truck drivers there are out there. Uh, once uh, self-driving trucks are allowed and they probably will be allowed. Uh, if they're not allowed on the freeway, he'll build tunnels and then they'll go through the tunnels and then they'll, and then they don't have to follow the rules of the road. Then they'll be fine. Um, do you think the premise of building things through technology, just infinite number of things, like when you were speaking, I was getting a vision of like artistic nature, like just creating things to create things, to make life better, to, to make food better, to make just your overall happiness go up. Yeah. I feel like that premise though is almost impossible because there has to be an end to that. Like even if, if you were to speak to just the sheer amount of space on earth, even though we like currently have so much left to still build and infrastructure and whatnot, I, it's almost tied in with humans urge to not just create, but to, to look like you're going up, like stag being stagnant, just not growing. Yeah. Whether it's money or not, just the idea of not growing is something that is like a human kryptonite to most mm-hmm. like people that have power, people that have money. It's the general nature of capitalism sometimes. And like wall street, like enough is never enough. And that's, and that's the human nature. Uh, basically if you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards. I'm sure you, you've heard that. And yeah. it's, it's built in our, our DNA because you think of it like our, just the the purpose of life, not looking, not saying anything like spiritual or anything like that, but the purpose of life is to thrive and continue to thrive and find the best conditions to thrive. That's all all living things. All living things are trying to find a better situation. They're all searching for something where the ability to thrive increases. That's just pre-programmed in us. And it, it comes out, especially when you have a lot of money. So a lot of, a lot of ways that some of these billionaires are seeing it is, Hey, if we're not, exploring the solar system we're moving backwards because we're not growing you know what i mean that's that's their vision so that's a capitalistic framework what about let's say a buddhist monk there's other folks that have that idea of abundance and kind of i don't know though are they happily neutral isn't that the notion of that's the ideology so that's the the kind of um the way people look at it is happiness is either you're, you're following that instinct of wanting to improve over time, always improve, always improve, always improve. And there's another ideology, which is accept what you got, accept what you got. So Buddhist monks are like, that, that's what they're known for. Like finding nirvana is, is being at peace with what you have now. And literally you're at, you're so at peace that you can meditate until you die. Like you can meditate for 50 years and you, you know, you've heard some of these monks because they're so at peace with now. Mm-hmm. The problem with that is, I mean, in my perspective, I mean, it's a, it's a good thing. I think, you know, people that have so much stress because they have so much 
weight on their shoulders of having to do this and that. Um, it's a good way to kind of like try to calm that. But it's it seems like it's a lot of work. And it is a lot of work. All these monks, they have to give up everything. They have to go to the monasteries. And just to be able to kind of get themselves to accept the now and accept everything is... And it's a, yeah, it's almost like a definition of discipline. It's, it's discipline. Like an extreme but, discipline. And discipline literally is like kind of forcing yourself to like do something, right? When it's not natural, you know? So that's, that's the, the, that's kind of what people are weighing. Uh, the unnatural way is that the actual natural way of how life is, is that we're always wanting more. Even, even if it's to our detriment, that's the problem because it's not necessarily for our our best intentions. That's just how we were built. And that's when we're supposed to learn from history and not repeat mistakes. But I think we should be in that dynamic tension of neutrality and, yeah, gratitude for what you have and then when advancing forward trying to filter it through a non-selfish i think we're all a little selfish to some degree but some sort of however you define altruism your decision making going forward to better the world should be filtered through through an altruistic nature to bring back the elon musk he claims that's why he's doing everything it's it's to bring humanity to a more secure happy future and one of his companies, SpaceX, he is literally, his main goal is just to prepare humanity and consciousness. It's weird when you hear him talk about it is he wants us to be able to escape planet Earth in case of a, an asteroid or um, some sort of mega disaster. Not, not just to save humanity, but to save consciousness. Because I don't think he's clear that consciousness exists totally outside of our brains and if we all die then <laughs> consciousness dies I, I don't know if he's completely uh completely convinced that we're not a, living in a simulation either that's true <laughs> but uh no but going back to that yeah every one of his companies has like a reason you know sustainable energy you know fighting ai you know basically well now thinking about moving to mars there's going to be a lot of work that needs to be done on mars before we can live there you got to terraform it. He said something like a thousand well, even, ships. Even before you terraform it. Changing the atmosphere. If, if you had maybe a thousand robots that could build for you. <laughs> exactly. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. They don't need oxygen. They don't need oxygen. They can be, without <laughs> us doing anything, he could just send like a thousand optimists over there. And then by the time we get there, oh, shoot, there's like a city here. Oh, there's running water. Like, what, what's going on? God, so that fear, how much is based <laughs> in reality of watching the movie iRobot? And this hardware with human emotion software, rather, right? So you have the hardware of the robot programmed with the software of humans going array, turning evil, becoming smarter than us. How much of that do you think is based in reality? And then how much based on your knowledge of coding, hacking, the ability for things to go wrong, do you think it's more likely that humans can always have control over these robots no no it's, you think it's already a danger to be honest fuck <laughs> dude yeah. i was hoping you were gonna tell me yes <laughs> there's these computers uh, i don't know if you've seen of these these there are there are these crazy looking contraptions that like the, the, they're not like regular computers but they they have the potential to to be astronomically more powerful than regular computers and like IBM has them, Google has them. Uh, I forgot what they're called. They're called um, oh shoot, what they're what they're called. But they're the ones where um, they're used like organic 
organic matter to like mm. flip like cells or something. It's 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 crazy, and they they look crazy. They're like made out of gold and these towers and all this. You stuff. know the name of it? Um, what are they called? Or like maybe just describe it. Grant could Google it. Yeah, it's just they're just like if you look at like supercomputer organic or something. I forgot what they're called. They're called super like, computer organic robots. Um. But, but so but anyway, is one of the yeah. premises in the demise you're potentially describing, is it because if we just simply put human characteristics and traits in hardware, since humans are flawed and take advantage and are greedy, then over time the software is just going to turn into that, the AI? Or do you think it's different than that? <laughs> I mean, I don't want to be cliche and just quote a bunch of movies, but the way it always works in movies is that it, it uh, these AIs are always becoming uh, problem solvers. So they're looking out for problems and trying to solve it. And essentially, at the end of the day, humans are the problem. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? They might solve some of our issues by doing that's stuff a, that we don't want. That's but, true. I it's mean, a deep truth, but then I'm asking myself, with the movies, right? Because we always reference this sci-fi stuff. Sometimes the sci-fi becomes reality. Sometimes they get it wrong on a timeline. But I don't, I'm not convinced, I'm not convinced yeah, this, this, that Hollywood directly translates into real-world application of the robots that are coming. But the, the, okay, the scary part is you, like, I, I just say it to be funny, right? You know, it's like we're basing it on, like, science fiction, like, books and, and but, the, but the thing is, the thing that motivated Elon are actually science fiction books. So he's actually making them into reality, which is pretty crazy. So yeah. essentially, yeah, we could probably look at some of these things and the billionaires love them as kids and they're trying to shape it the way that some of these things happened. You know what I mean? Yeah. So would it, it's you, a little scary. Would <laughs> you, oh, what's that? Your kids, for example, are going to be able to have a robot watch their kids. As Grandpa Jason, are you going to be comfortable with that? One day in like 20 years or whatever it's hard to say because I mean, like you're on the cutting edge let's say of accepting technology right and matt if i pose that question to to 90 or to all of americans i 95 percent, maybe even higher are going to be absolutely terrified so the thing is is that if he relaunches these optimus machines and they seem very docile um, and they seem like they have limitations, like they only could carry 45 pounds, they could do this, and they only could w w walk five miles an hour, whatever. And they feel like it's not a threat. I mean, we already have, I know people that watch their kids by using a camera in the, in the house. You know, when they're not home, they have a camera that rotates and it's like it, and in, in every room they can see where he's at and, that's, and they check on their phone and that's how they're watching their kids. And a camera is a robot that operates like that. Essentially, basically, I mean, it has your input on it, but mm -hmm. I mean, it's the same thing. If the if the robot was able to give you a screencast, some people might like that. Like, oh, I can just tell the robot to check on him in the room and see what he's doing. He just walks over there and just, I could look at him like, oh, okay, cool. You know what I mean? So I think we're already kind of there a little bit, so I don't think it's a huge stretch to make it. Let me pose an example, because I could foresee some scenarios with these robots where countless number numbers of kids are going to be saved from asphyxiation like choking on something yeah. right 
it's going to know how to do CPR. That's going to be a baseline program. But there's also going to be a case where a robot trips. I don't know how heavy they are. It's going to fall on a toddler and might kill one. So all these potentials, I forget the exact philosophical term where you're just trying to like weigh the good versus the bad. And that's how everything should operate. It's the same thing. Like, I mean, kids have, you know, like parents have these swing sets for kids in the thing to put them to sleep. Mm -hmm. There's dangers to that. They could fall off. They could strangle themselves. But at some point in time, they weigh the pros and cons. Because I'm sure when they first like develop that and they put a swing, it's like, dude, who's going to put their kid on that swing? It's so dangerous. Right. But then everybody has it. You know, it might be yeah. the same thing. Oh, by the way, it's a uh, quantum computing. Just, uh, oh, I've seen, yeah. Quantum computing. Yeah. So they're like gold. They have a bunch of gold yeah, plates that, and whatnot like that. Yeah. Quantum computing. But, so, but this is what I'm talking about though. So the fear, the pure hardware of this and then the software yeah. that goes into it, I don't, I'm not convinced that that directly equates to evil robots or things going no, bad. It, it, it so doesn't. if you have a humanoid robot, which Musk is creating and it's going to be in our households, if if you were a hacker or trying to have something go wrong, I mean, how are you going to actually gain access into having those those robots do something? Something bad are able to hack into anything that's is a problem is that's the one issue but so it's like risk management if you're yeah. if you take the premise of hacking and software you can hack an account to the detriment of someone's bank account the negative outcome is lost dollars the bank's got to get involved someone loses their home whatever it may be if you apply software going array and hacking to cars to self-driving cars to robots to things in physical space that can that can go wrong it enters like another realm right of negative so even like robots that perform surgery like surgeons i bet there's some sort of percentage of error right where it's a like a some sort of knife or whatever it may be is supposed to be on this specific part of the heart or dental procedures or what have you hardware goes wrong sometimes the software that's programmed into it. If you have a robot that's now interacting with your children in physical space, it's just, it's a risk. It's crazy. Yeah. But I guess what I'm getting at though, is that risk the the question has been posed in different ways with just accepting technology as humans, credit cards, the computer cameras, and we're slowly but surely moving towards embracing a more accepting society with technology right so if we stay on that path then it's inevitable that this software this ai is going to enter into our physical space it's not going to just be programs in our phone apps it's going to be how do we make this robot better if we if we teach it cpr how to cook this meal how to open the fridge how to walk your dog the nature of that business is incentivized to to program more functions that a human wants, right. right? So at that point, it's just crazy because that's inevitable. It's going to start it's at a inevitable. base. It's going to start at a baseline, and it's going to become smarter over time. But how does that directly equate to some world where the robots are taking over humans? <laughs> 
Like yeah. I just I don't see it yet. I know, but I mean it's a going back to it. It's the same thing as like self-driving cars. A lot of people are like, dude, there's no way I'm gonna let the car drive itself. I'm mm. gonna crash. Eventually, more and more people are adopting it. You know what I mean? Um, you know, I don't know if I'll trust it and fall asleep in it like right away, but you know, eventually you probably will. You know, a lot of people trust that. And when the robots first come out, guaranteed there's tons of people that don't have kids that, that love technology. Like, dude, I'm going to get this thing. It's going to clean my whole house and do all this sort of stuff. And then people are going to see like, Hey, the, the thing is cooking for him. It's cleaning for him. He doesn't have to do anything. He needs dry cleaning and walks it down to the freaking store. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like, you know, people are going to be like, huh? Maybe it's worth it, you know? This is what scares me, too, though, with, like, Blade Runner type stuff. If you're if you're a single individual or if, if you're building a robot that is starting to uh, de-incentivize you from having kids. Because let's say you know one of the biggest baselines, sex sells, they're going to make fuck robots. <laughs> like, dude, 100%, right? Of course. So if, if you're able to fill that human need, how many dudes... Uh, girl like whomever is just gonna have a robot now to f- fulfill their fantasies they're like oh i don't need to procreate i've got my robot cooks cleans you know everything it's that's dangerous then because is there going to be a tipping point where robots produced robots in the world are a higher number than organic humans and that's the thing i mean once once it comes to the point i mean if, if what I think is right and his goal is kind of like that whole Star Trek idea where everybody's kind of happy and, and less aggressive because everybody's kind of fulfilled, like they're, nobody's starving, you know, like literally like if he wanted to send like 10,000 robots to the middle of Africa to do all the planning and growing and do all this labor for them, build them like stuff, you know what I mean? Like people would be better off, you know what I mean? It'll change lives. So. I'm thinking he's hoping that in the future there'll be so many and the cost of goods will be so little that nobody will want to mess with it. Like even like people with ill intentions will be like, see, we'll see the positive. But, mm. but you know, but I think that's, that's a very positive way to look at people because, you know, in general, there's always crazies, you know. Um, like a super army. Do you, do you think that well, that's a not, communist country would create a super army of robots? I, I'm sure he's already he's already looking at the military application for these as a just in case, you know what I mean? Like if, if Russia like wanted to invade America, well, we have like a hundred thousand optimists ready to go. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just like, he's like, Oh, I have Starlink ready to go. Here you guys go. Oh, by the way, we got a whole army. If you want to use them, <laughs> you know what I mean? I wouldn't be surprised Dude. if like something like that happened. My mind is just blown. He's literally it, Tony it Stark, like real life now. <laughs> it feels like the matrix, dude. Right. <sighs> Where is this all gonna go? But like you but said, but like you said, if you're if you're weighing it against reducing suffering for how many people starving around the world, then what do you do? You got you if you have a tool that could reduce this human suffering, it's gonna happen. Yeah, and I think what's what he's trying to do. So I'll, oh, so you could quote me on this. I guarantee you, at some point in time with SpaceX, he's gonna build. A weapon system uh, in outer space because the only thing that can ever like if say for example he creates you know a million optimists right just like Tesla's they're gonna be updated over the air through through internet there's so many possibilities of them getting hacked uh, because of Wi-Fi and you know 
5G signals or whatever. There's a lot of opportunity to get in there unless he uses Starlink. If he uses Starlink, mm. he has a direct connection and nobody has access to it. And it's like Fort Knox. The only way you could take down the system is you shoot down the, the satellites. So that's the same thing for like if Russia wanted Ukraine to stop using Starlink. If uh, somebody wanted to shut down Twitter, if somebody wanted to shut down the robots, you would have to take down the, the satellites that are uh, for Starlink. So I guarantee you they're already thinking of this and then they're already thinking of a way to protect the, the satellites. I see. Well, yeah. another thing just scared me, though. Yeah. And it counters a note that I wrote earlier from what Elon was saying is that people living too long is a negative. It creates <laughs> ossification of society. Yeah. If this infrastructure is built by Elon Musk over time, once he passes away and the throne, it, the, the realms under someone else's control, yeah, that's kind of scary because if, if... And who holds the keys, right? Who holds the keys? And yeah. if that's going to be over time passed down, is that a king with too much power or what, right? We know based on history that there are kings that are deemed good and the society is like flourishing and people are happy, they pass away, and then an evil king gets the keys. I mean, so it's inevitable theory, that he's going to leave the earth at one point. Yeah. Who's going to be at the freaking wheel of that ship? My theory and how he's trying to structure like Mars and how he's trying to like and his fascination with crypto. My theory is that he's, he would plan for it to be community run where it's like a checks and balances system throughout the whole system. There's not a, there's not a king kind of like direct, kind of like Bitcoin. It's like, yeah. it's a, it's, it's whole, the whole organic kind of like thing. You know what I mean? There's not like one head that makes decisions. It's its own living thing. So he's running against the or, clock then to or it's build a, that. Or it's AI that does it. Uh, that's scary. Yeah. I, he spoke to direct democracy instead of representative democracy. That's what he would want on Mars. And I mean, I'm on board with that. I think it's the best option. It just supposes, it presupposes that the masses are educated enough and have good morals and ethics to make collective good group decisions, right? Watch Neuralink as a whole like scam. Really all it is is technology to download his brain somewhere. So so the AI is basically his decision-making abilities. Musk, we're on your team. <laughs> Musk, we're on your team. <laughs> right? Can you imagine? So, like, he never dies. It's like, literally, he lives on forever. Like, <laughs> that's his consciousness is downloaded into the into the, the cloud. <laughs> yeah, th- that is a um, Black Mirror episode. Have you seen it? I've, Black Mirror on Netflix? No, I've seen it, but I don't know it's which episode the, it is. It's the one where the, the elderly folks, in spoiler alert, I don't know which. It's old <laughs> enough now. Figure it out. Yeah. But... They're an elderly home, like before you pass over, you have the option to have your consciousness uploaded. Oh, okay. <laughs> to then like have eternal life in whatever scenario, whatever scene you want. So you can be, I want to be 28 again, and I want to be on Hawaii. I want this house, this car. I want these people with me. And then you just exist in this digital universe yeah so your or your organic material passes over but your consciousness is uploaded it's crazy it's definitely inevitable yeah i mean you know when i was writing my book i was kind of studying the brain a lot and what's funny is like if you look at the brain 
Um, I mean, so if you think of a computer, what defines a computer? Is it the computer itself and the hardware, or is it the hard drive? What defines what the computer is? Is it the operating system or I, the hard drive? I think it's all together because it, it would be like pulling out your heart or your brain. Like, well, not necessarily. Say you have a brand new computer with nothing on it. Mm -hmm. You use it for a year. If you take that hard drive out with all your stuff on it, but the computer still works with nothing, what's the computer? Is it your hard drive or is it, is it the computer? Oh, got it. I would still say the computer is the hardware, the computer itself. Yeah, so the hard drive is memory. Exactly. So exa if you look at it in the perspective of the brain, your operating system on the decision-making and stuff like that is pre-programmed in your DNA, and it runs like your subconscious does it all day long. It's influenced by what's on that hard drive, but your hard drive is basically just your memories. So kind of the essence of you is literally the programming of like what fires the chemicals and stuff like that. Wow. So what's, what's interesting is now that I think about it, if Elon were to put a Neuralink and just wear it for like 20 years, it would probably understand all of how he reacts to things. Even mm. though it might not retain his memories, it would know like it would be him. Like if, if, you, if you think him is that part of him. You know what I mean? And not his memories, right? So that would be like an AI self-driving car. The system would get smart over time and learning. Uh, it'll get the, it'll, it'll relearn everything. The yeah. electrical current of your brain. And then as long as you had that coded into software, you would then apply that code to some sort of software universe. So like you can maybe it's it's like a, a video game with different levels, right? Yeah. So you enter into the game into a programmed universe, a level one, level two, whatever it may be. So if each individual can be programmed or their their thoughts, can, their minds can be mapped, yeah. then you could place that person right into some sort of digital universe. That's the metaverse. Oh, <laughs> dude. Oh, my goodness. Well... Yeah. The future is, uh, I'm optimistic. I think, I think we're, as long as we try to build our capacity for like empathy and ethics and morality and not just growing our society as a technology based society, as long as we are insides, right? We want, we want to remain good people or try to make as many people on earth as good as possible to have freedom and liberty to, to pursue the things they want, right? Because everything that we're talking about right now, all of this innovation is built off of certain baseline morals and ethics that give you the ability to navigate freely in the world, right? Otherwise, none of these things would even exist. If you, if you were in a society where if, if you tried to create or innovate in any way you would be murdered, then these things wouldn't happen. So I heard a couple people talking about Elon Musk being a part of America and like being in a system that allowed all of this to happen for as imperfect as it is. I, th I think in navigating forward, as humans, we need to agree on some sort of baseline morals and ethics that are very broad. The brackets are very broad in structure and allow all of this free navigation within and has checks and balances, but doesn't 
doesn't silence people, doesn't take away rights. Everyone is in the system just tries to do their best with a future knowing that there's going to be mishaps that we don't see and we're going to have to course correct and problem solve and maybe fight fucking robots and stuff one day. <laughs> but we have, we have to, as humans, try to have each other's backs and all be on the same side, the human side, right? No matter your color, no matter your gender, no matter what it is, we're going through all of these growing pains right now. If we don't figure our shit out soon, we're going to be beat by technology. Yeah. And if we don't have each other's backs, there's going to be a few elites that are going to have access to the technology in the next 50 to 100 years. And they're going to use it to like take over the world. That's a possibility, right? That's so the, the key problem is what you, exactly what you said is morals and ethics. Because when you first build, you know, some sort of AI system or whatever, uh, there has to be some, some sort of rule set and some sort of boundary, right? So who gets to define what morals and ethics are? Uh, everybody's idea of what's morally right and morally wrong may be different. So essentially the king is whoever put that in, that foundation in. It's like that the ethics based on Elon's ethics, is that right for everyone? Who knows, right? So the only alternative is to have the system problem solve on its own and say whatever's best for the human race. But mm. the problem with that is how many times are your parents saying like, I'm doing this for you. It's, it's, it's the best thing for you. And you don't agree with it. And you're like, screw that. That's not what I want. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you're going to get that all day long. You know, how does this computer know what I need more than I do? You're that's gonna, a, yeah. That's a challenge because yeah. the only measurement at that point is going to be the preservation of life. Exactly. <sighs> Which, I mean, that's a good start. If we can all start there, the preservation of life. There's a lot of things and a lot of people out there that are not doing their part to preserve life. Then what? What's the? What do you do with them? Eliminate them? Is that? How, is that what you do? You know, I mean, what's? Yeah. How, how do? How do you handle that? That's or, the problem. It's hard. On that note, just there's a challenge with biohacking and like with birth and whatnot. If if you want to preserve life, are you able to like define life and let's say fixing an embryo that's predisposed to have a child with some sort of traumatic uh, yeah. deformity or something like that. People talk about that. Like, if, is it playing God or should we try oh. to do the greater good for I the mean, most people? Not only that, I mean, just, a, I mean, just look around. There's a lot of people that are just a piece of shit. Right. And it's like, great thing about America is you have the right to be a piece of shit. You don't have to be this like perfect person. You know, you have the right to make mistakes and, you know, be a crappy person if you want to be a crappy person. But if you have some sort of system that's already predetermined what's best for everyone, then what do you do with those people? Mm. Yeah. And in a free society like America, the system only functions best in the long term if the majority of the people, of its components inside, are operating in good-hearted people, right? So that's the argument with freedom of speech and allowing the marketplace of ideas to take place is that that's presupposed that the marketplace is full of mostly good ideas. Like you don't have 60% of idiots that could destroy the world winning out. It's like, no, no, you have 99.999% of people might not be perfect. They have the goods and good and bad days, but over time, it's going to remain good. And the small number of people, 
they're the ones who hopefully the, their DNA leaves Earth over time. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen the movie Idiocracy? No. Oh, no. Watch it. <laughs> Basically, it's where like everybody becomes so like a guy goes into the future and he's not even like a smart guy, baby, but he's like a super genius in the future because everybody's dumb. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think <laughs> AI might might think that's our future and try to do something about it. That's the only fear I have because, I mean, people are people regardless on their abilities or whatever their beliefs. You know, I don't know if a machine will understand that part of it. Yeah. Let's yeah. become better over time. Let's. Yeah. No matter where you come from, if the shit that we go through when we're young adolescents and our, we can't control our parents and they couldn't control their parents and since the beginning of time that's been happening, now that we have technology and the ability to communicate and know what's going on all around the world, I, I think we're going through growing pains and we're going we're gonna to become a better collective consciousness over time. And we have to do that before the robots take over. Because they're coming. Hopefully see, we see the positive time in our lifetime. Because there's going to be a lot of backlash before that happens, yeah, for sure. Yeah, Grant, yeah. can you, just to close it off, can you play that third link? So second to the right. Or the third YouTube link. Yeah, that one. I just want to finish it off with Elon Musk. There's a, there's a whole generation coming through who seem really sad about the future. What would you say to them? Well, I think if you want the future to be good, you must make it so take action to make it good and it will be if you want the future to be good you must make it so you know take action and make it so that's what he's doing and with that being said talking goes a long way thanks for coming on brother yeah thanks for having me that's right. awesome take care guys